0: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Church Online. To you guys here in the building on site, welcome to you. And uh, for you guys connecting via YouTube, it's great to have you with us this morning. I want to remind you that whether you're at home or in the building, we are building a community at Grace Cup Church. Not just people that attend a meeting and watch. You can watch on a screen. You can even watch in the building. We want to build a community. So why don't you jump on the comments and even just greet people. Say, I'm here. I'm watching as well. Perhaps you want to reach out to a friend on, on, on text or another way. Maybe as the Lord put something on your heart, you'd love to share that in their comments. We want to go beyond just meeting with the screen in between us to interacting and engaging as we do life together, even in these kinds of circumstances. So welcome to episode 11 of Acts Alive. This morning, we're looking at Acts Alive Influencer. So we've seen over the last weeks how ordinary people empowered by the Holy Spirit can do extraordinary things. How they can face uh, triumph in the face of crisis and difficulty. And how they can live lives that count beyond simply surviving the current troubles and just hanging on hoping for better days. That's so tempting to do right now, isn't it? I wonder if I could ask you to think about this for a moment. Just settle your hearts. I'm going to ask you an important question. Think about this. When was the last time you had a great triumph? Or sadly, maybe the last time that you had a great sorrow. Just think about that for a moment. I want to ask you, in that moment, did you have someone to call that you could share the joy or the burden of that news, that event with? Could you phone someone up and share your heart with them? When I say that, I don't mean, did you go? Were you able to post online and have your Facebook friends like and comment? Or or to, to put it out there on social and see if you can get a couple of hearts. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm asking, did you have someone to call? Someone who knows you, who's aware of your journey, who's up to date with your life. Someone that can roll up their sleeves and get stuck in to do whatever it takes to help you because they are committed to you as a friend. Someone who will genuinely share your successes and not be put off or jealous because you have succeeded. Someone who will pray and carry your burdens as though it was your own or their own. I wonder if you have someone like that, man. If you don't, God puts the lonely in families. There's people around you. You've just got to look out for them. You see, as we've journeyed through the book of Acts, and we've, in our series Acts Alive, we see how this rampant, explosive gospel spread from very humble beginnings, which were predominantly Jewish, in small little communities, to eventually reaching every culture and class of society, every language group, and every corner of the known world. The scope of Acts, the book in the Bible, covers 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine mediterranean islands isn't that amazing how big the scope of what the gospel accomplished in just one book uh, was able to do but we also see that with the increasing spread of the gospel the result was increasing difficulty and opposition on just a practical point of view there was more traveling more ship journeys more time out in the open more exposure to risk On a spiritual or political point of view there was greater and greater opposition from without you see we see we see that the gospel expansion came with a price at first the roman empire just simply ignored christianity thinking it was some kind of obscure jewish development that posed no threat to the empire but as Hundreds and then thousands, and ultimately hundreds of thousands of people became born again and gave their allegiance to King Jesus. Even Rome was threatened. At the beginning, it was just the Jewish leaders who were jealous of what was happening with the Christians, but eventually, even the Roman might was fearful that this was a new uh, threat to their mighty empire. And one of the keys. To this gospel expansion is that of the deep relationships and the camaraderie which united the people from vastly different backgrounds, different personalities, different giftings, and bound them together in loving and supporting partnerships that could take the world for Jesus. You see, every one of these people had many that they could call in triumph or tragedy. And so this morning, as we honour our ladies on this special Women's Day, we're going to take a look at the Book of Acts, but we're going to have a focus on some of the roles that women played in this book. Romans chapter sixteen it reads like this: I commend you, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Chentria, which is just outside Corinth. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of His people. And to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junior, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. So let's have a look at some of the ladies that we encounter in the book of Acts. The first one I want to talk about this morning is this lady called Tabitha. Tabitha, we read about her in Acts chapter 9 and verse 36. It says, In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About this time she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. When Peter arrived, He was taken to the upstairs room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. The Bible says that Peter prays and he says to her, Tabitha, get up. And she opens her eyes, resurrected from the dead. Now the lady that we start off first, this lady Lady Tabitha, she's not a great preacher. She's not a great teacher. In fact, she's not known for upfront ministry. But why we begin with her is the more more people than not that I talk to day in and day out seem to put themselves down rather than are too proud. Most Christians think that they have just a very small and insignificant role to play in the kingdom of God. And the big jobs, the big work should be left for those other fancy people, whoever that other people is. And I want to start with finding just some lady who's relatively behind the scenes. And yet she counts for Jesus. She's not a prophet. She's not a preacher as some women were. We know that the Bible says she was a disciple. More than that, we don't know her role in the church. What we do know is that she was full of good works. Full of good works. Can you imagine if someone was speaking about you in the congregation and said, Oh, so-and-so. Man, they are full of good works. What a wonderful thing. Constantly doing charitable deeds. She made clothes and gave them to other widows. She herself could have been a widow. But she was respected and valued by that local congregation so much that when she got sick, the church gathered together to pray. And when they heard that Peter the Apostle was nearby, they sent to bring him to pray for her. This was a lady that the church was concerned about. We see that she's raised from the dead and just that by itself is an example and an evangelistic uh, moment for those around her. So what is it that Tabitha teaches us? I think Tabitha teaches us to live with a servant heart. There's some beautiful thing she shows us. She shows us love in action. She spent time doing good works, not just saying good things. She shows us love in action. She shows us amazingly how to live healed. You see, too many of us uh, uh, make our address at the point of our pain. And in life, we will all go through trouble. We know that so well. But many of us will camp there. We, we, we put our roots and we, we make our foundations. We, we own our address and that becomes who we are. Tabitha was a widow, yet the Bible tells us that she overcame the pain of her loss so that she was able to minister to other widows. She found a way to live heal, that she could um, minister the love of God to other people people who were struggling with the same experience. <laughs> um, Tabitha teaches us to bloom where we planted. Many of us would say, "Oh, if I had an easier boss i 'd be able to shine Jesus better at work if you know if I had more money, I could be more generous if if I wasn't so busy, I could pray more. We often think it's my circumstances that hold us back, but this lady. Tabitha bloomed where she planted. She bloomed where she planted. She had gone through some stuff in life, but she chose to have a great attitude and pour the life of God into those around her. Now the final thing that Tabitha teaches us is she teaches us to embrace her second and third act. We speak about our first act being our school years, our study, and then our job. This lady had had a family. She'd been married. Now she was widowed. Her life had gone into the next stage. She could have just sat on a rocking chair. I don't know what they would have done and and wild her final years away. But no, she embraced her second act. She found a purpose for this next season of her life. She made it count. Tabitha teaches us to live with a servant heart. The second lady we'll talk about this morning is Mary. Now Mary, this Mary was John Mark's mother. And uh, we read about her in Acts chapter 12, verse 12. It says, when this had dawned on Peter that he was released from prison, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So during the first few centuries of, of Christianity, there were no fancy church buildings. The cathedrals and all of that came much, much later. And so the church would meet in either outdoors or in the homes of affluent people who welcomed them. Uh, to meet in their houses. And so local groups of believers gathered together in houses large enough to accommodate their church gatherings. And one of these early house churches was hosted by this lady called Mary who was John Mark's mother. Mary was most likely a wealthy widow. She was originally from Cyprus and she was related to Barnabas. She became Peter's friend because of Peter's involvement with the congregation in her home. So much so that Mary's son, John Mark, got to know Peter, became his assistant and eventually became an apostle in his own right and was instrumental in writing the Gospel of Mark. And so Mary would have been well off and influential. She would have been from the upper classes because she had slaves in her home. She allowed the church to meet in her house. You know, when Peter was arrested, the church is found praying in her home. At that stage, Herod, the ruler of Jerusalem, turned against the christians and he persecuted them james was just recently executed peter had been arrested and uh, there was great pressure on christians Uh, and yet mary encouraged still has the church meeting in her home and so where tabitha teaches us to live with a servant heart mary teaches us to live courageously she has a sense of godly stewardship of all that she has. She understands that what she has is not her own, but it belongs to God. And she's simply a steward or a manager of his resources. She puts the kingdom first. She lives a sacrificial life. Could you imagine having groups of people in your house most days of the week and many, many more on Sunday? Think of the mud stains on your carpets and the cups and saucers that get broken. Think of just the general wear and tear of your home. (laughs) You know, um, often we ask for people to help us with hosting when we have visitors from the outside. And... We find sometimes it's quite difficult for people to say, come to my house. I don't have much, but I can share it with you. People in our city feel like they've got to put on this wonderful thing. I can't tell you how many times when we have gone to minister at places, we go to the pastor's house to stay, the the husband and the wife end up sleeping on the lounge floor or in the children's bedroom and they give us their bed. Man, if you've got a bed, you can be sacrificial and let people be in your home. You know when I just got saved, the church that I got saved into had some founder members. They were grandpas and grannies. Uh, their names were Laurie and Rose Hotson. And they were farmers and when they sold the farm and moved into town, they built a house for themselves. You know the kind of house farmers build in town, right? And they had three garages, but they decided from the beginning. The church was still small and, and young. It, it hired a rotary hall and then a school hall for Sunday meetings. It had nowhere to meet in the week. And so above the garages, they built what they called the upper room. It had a kitchenette. It was open like an auditorium. It had a bathroom so that you could go to the the, the bathroom right there. And they said from day one, this building will be for the church. You know, I remember my very first prayer meetings as a new believer in that upper room. I remember sitting and listening to men and women I came to respect as they mentored me and discipled me and taught me the deep things of the faith. I remember attending my first elders meeting in that upper room. I remember leading my first elders meeting in that upper room. It was just a, you might call them an old man and an old woman, but they chose to live a sacrificial life. They welcomed the church into their very home week in and week out for more than 15 years. You know, Colette and I got married in their garden because they were like Mary. They had learned to live courageously and open their doors to the things of God. Mary shows us courage to make tough calls in the face of danger. To stick to the fact that everything I have belongs to the Lord and I am at His service. Tabitha teaches us servanthood. Mary teaches us courage. The third lady is Lydia. We read about her in Acts chapter 16. It says, From Troas we put out to sea and we sailed straight to Samothrace. And the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, and a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed there several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and we began to speak of the woman who had gathered there. One of them Listening was a woman from the city of Thyatria named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. She said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, then come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. This lady, Lydia, would have been a wealthy and influential business lady. She dealt in purple cloth. She was a Gentile and she'd moved to Philippi, where uh, politicians and high military officers lived so she could trade with them. They would have been her clientele. And she determines to provide the gospel with a beachhead into Europe. She's a lady with a heart after God, but she's not born again. When she hears Paul preaching, she becomes born again. She's the first convert to Christianity in the whole of Europe. (laughs) It would have been in Philippa. And, And she's the beachhead. Not only is she the first convert, but she's also instrumental with those other ladies at the prayer meeting in planting the first church and setting up the first base to see the gospel go into europe this was a special lady right the first salvation the first church plant only with woman and the first base into europe she invites the apostles to stay in her home and even the church meets in her home you see lydia teaches us to live sacrificially She begins by showing us a hunger for God. She's seeking God. She's regular in prayer even before she was born again. Lydia also teaches us that small beginnings can be very significant. Can you imagine how a business lady and a few friends going outside in the open next to the river just to pray during the day? Those humble beginnings turn into the gospel all over Europe and increasingly west into the known worlds. She teaches us about selfless sacrifice. All that she had, her friendship circle, her standing in the community, the resources she had, the home, the money was offered to serving Jesus. This was a special lady who offered everything to her. The last lady that I want to talk about this morning is Priscilla. We read about her in Acts chapter 18, verse 2. It says there was a Jew named Aquila, a nature of Pontus. He and his half He and his wife Priscilla uh, had left Rome and had uh, run for their lives. In verse 18 it says, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and the sisters there and sailed for Syria to Ephesus, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off to make a vow. When they arrived at Ephesus, he left Priscilla and Aquila, and he himself went into the synagogue, and he reasoned with the Jews." Now, this is an amazing couple. They're always min- always mentioned together, Priscilla and Aquila, which indicates that they were equal partners. Four out of the six times that they are min- mentioned, her name is first, which indicates that she was probably the powerhouse. She had the greater gifting, the more upfront call. They were also a cross-cultural couple. He was a Jew, she would have been Roman. So they move from Rome to Greece because... They are running for their lives because of the persecution in Rome. They set up work there. Then they meet Paul and then when they want to go and plant into Ephesus, they say, man, we can go and establish a business branch there. And so they go with Paul to set up the church there they, by, by making a base out of their business. The cool thing is after three months, Paul leaves <laughs> and they have to carry on. Do you know that this couple move from Italy to Greece to Turkey, three countries to be a base for the spread of the gospel. And so Priscilla teaches us to live strategically. She pursues her own gifting, but she's still in team with her husband. Isn't this beautiful? She might have the stronger gift. She might be more upfront, but she still works in team with her husband. She's strategic in her approach to the gospel. She uses her business to advance the kingdom. She doesn't just think, well, I'll do my thing during the week, and I'll just bring the money by way of my tithe. No, she says, everything I have, my business should be set up so that I can get the gospel to other parts, a platform. I wonder what about you? You might say, I don't have a business, yes. But what platform do you have? Perhaps your kids are going to a new school. Maybe there's a platform there. Maybe you're moving into a new suburb. Maybe there's opportunity there. Maybe you're starting a job. Maybe there's opportunity there. Maybe you're walking with ladies in your neighborhood. Maybe there's an opportunity there. Maybe you're getting involved with a new good cause. There could be an opportunity for the gospel there. Lydia, uh, Priscilla, was a possibilitarian. Everything she had, she looked for strategic opportunities to see the gospel advanced. The beauty is she's a team player. She doesn't hold her gifting back. She doesn't quieten herself down so that the people around her don't be put under pressure. She's strong with her, her, her gospel. She's even able to teach Apollos deeper things of, 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 of the truth. But she's also not pushy. She's not difficult to lead. And so, my friends, today we have these ladies who are able to teach us how we can live in a way that counts for eternity. You know, today it's so easy for the dailiness of life to distract us from the kingdom of God. I want to say to us we see in these ladies when we compare ourselves we have no excuse we're left without an excuse you see every one of us gets to count for jesus if we will just live for him we want to live for eternity and not just this life each of these women who in the context of the day would have been the least likely candidates every one of them when born again into the kingdom of god empowered by the holy spirit designed specifically by god every one of them played a part in changing their world i want to ask you this morning will you use their example and find ways wherever you are to bloom where you're planted and to see the gospel of jesus christ coming through you to wherever god has planted you god bless you